You are listening to the Healing Migraines Naturally podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Caesar, and I'm helping women rediscover a migraine-free life. Today, I'm talking to Mary, who runs our awesome Facebook community, about why the drug companies advertise on TV and in newspapers and magazines. Welcome, Mary. How are you? Doing good. Is it for our entertainment? Because <laughs> I always find those ads to be quite, I don't know, hilarious is the right word, but entertaining on a level because of the 10 minute spill about side effects that everything that could ever go wrong could go wrong, right? <laughs> right, right. I mean, how many little comedy skits and now in today's day and age, little TikTok videos have been made by aspiring comedians joking about drug ads on TV and all the side effects. My daughter, who's 12, actually just showed me a little YouTube parody about drug side effects, right? Because she thought that was funny too. So exactly. And it's always like the worst possible scenarios. Like you're going to ooze from every orifice. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> what? How many people in a, in a drug study has to have that happen before they put it on the list, you know? <laughs> right, right. And even putting it on the list doesn't stop the drug from being used. Right, right. Interesting. The little uh, parody that my daughter was showing me a couple of weeks ago, the last side effect, right? Because they kind of ever, you know, it was like a little send up, right? Of the drug, of a drug, of a fake drug. And then uh, the actor started going into the rapid speech side effects. You know how it's a it's a nice, easy, breezy tone until they get to the side effects and then the pace speeds up. So he lists, you know, like you say, some of the most ridiculous side effects. And then the final side effect that he stated was, the symptom that the drug was trying to treat. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> Not only can it help you, but it can also give it to you. Exactly. It's uh, crazy. So yeah, we've all been entertained by these ads for many years now. They started advertising on TV in the mid 80s. Now I know some of the people listening maybe uh, were just newborns during that time. <laughs> I was not. I was a teenager by the time the mid-80s came around. But it's funny to even conceive of a world where you would watch TV and not have drug ads on the TV, isn't it? Yeah, that's so true. I like to watch a lot of HGTV shows. I love those like house flipping shows and those house (laughs) remodel shows. Mm -hmm. And I watch them on demand. So they have the commercials kind of programmed in there. And Mm. I don't know if they match the commercials to the household interest or not. Like, you know, when you're watching YouTube on your phone, they curate those advertisements on YouTube to be something that you're interested in. Oh, yeah. But I tell you, whenever I watch my HGTV shows, 75% of the ads are migraine drug ads. That's interesting. Like, how Isn't that interesting? We figure out that you were into that kind of thing, you know? Right. So I don't know. I mean, obviously, migraines affects women so much more than men. And I would have to assume that mostly mm-hmm. women are watching these home remodel shows and so on and home flipping shows. Certainly, my husband never seems to have any interest <laughs> in them. Yeah. So I don't know if it's just they assume that women are watching the programming and migraines affects women so much, or if they actually have connected 
my browsing history, which is obviously going to be very migraine focused, to my cable account. I don't know. I wouldn't doubt it. I think it's very interesting how targeted advertising is and how much, I guess, tracking, like I know we call it, you know, cookies on our computer, but like Mm -hmm. how much tracking and information we really do give these advertisers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, prior to this, the FDA did not allow pharmaceutical advertising on TV. The rationale, and actually, interestingly enough, the United States and one other country, there are only two countries in the world that you can advertise pharmaceuticals on television. It's quite interesting. Prior to the FDA decision, the rationale was that you wouldn't want to insert the for-profit motive that the pharmaceutical industry obviously has You wouldn't want to insert that for-profit motive into the doctor-patient relationship. Mm -hmm. Doctors take an oath, right? And naturopathic doctors are no exception. I took an oath on my graduation day up on stage. You take an oath. One of the things is to do no harm in the naturopathic oath. There are other parts of that oath as well, but certainly the most weighty aspect of that oath is to do no harm. And so that doctor-patient relationship, there's an oath involved. It is a very personal relationship and a very sacred relationship. And so to insert a for-profit motive into that, obviously there was some concern about that. But that concern, (laughs) yeah, right, as it should be. But in 1985, the FDA rescinded that. Now, for those of you that are familiar with the term institutional capture, right, this is a problem that we have within our regulatory bodies, whether it be the pharmaceutical industry, oil and gas industry, the food industry, right? We have organizations within the government to help protect the public, right? Because all of these other industries have a profit motive. And I'm not saying that having a profit motive is a bad thing, but as we have seen over and over again, that profit motive can get in the way of doing the right thing. Right. It's a matter of like, which one is the priority? It's okay to want to make a profit. And I think people get angry and we forget that those people have to make a profit in order to stay in business and feed their families too. Are we putting that above caring for others, above not doing harm? Exactly. Right. Ethics, these types of things, right? Good business practices, quality product. Unfortunately, I'm sure people have heard the term revolving door between industry and our regulatory bodies. The head of the FDA, when he or she retires from the FDA. Now they're sitting on, you know, six months later, they're sitting on the board of a pharmaceutical industry and vice versa. Yeah. Right? So I can imagine that this regulatory capture phenomenon by the time we hit the mid 80s, suddenly the FDA isn't that concerned anymore. Mm-hmm. The justification or the rationale in the mid 80s to allow television advertising And print advertising was starting to be allowed about a decade before, if I'm remembering correctly. But the rationale was, well, you know, why shouldn't the consumer, why shouldn't the patient be empowered when they go into the doctor's office to know what drugs are on the table for them and advocate for themselves, particularly the newer medications, okay? Mm -hmm. 
doctors, they are visited by pharmaceutical sales reps and they are educated by these sales reps on new medications. But, you know, like anybody, people do what they're familiar with, what they're in the routine of doing. And so doctors are in the habit, have always been in the habit, right? Okay, let me prescribe you what I've been prescribing for the past 10 years and I know how people respond to it and maybe by now it's a generic and it's cheaper. Mm -hmm. Well, that doesn't help a drug company when they've got a new drug on the market that costs $100 million to develop and the doctors, even though the pharmaceutical drug reps are saying, hey, we got a new medication, this is, you know, the benefits, et cetera, et cetera. The doctor, just like anybody else, is going to say, yeah, let me do what I'm familiar with. Mm-hmm. So the rationale, part of the rationale was, one, the patient would be able to advocate for themselves, mm-hmm. and then it would allow the pharmaceutical companies to market these new drugs right to the patient. The patient kind of gets hyped up. Oh, there's a new medication for my migraines. Let me ask for that. I actually kind of like the concept of empowering people to advocate for themselves, but there's a lot of strings attached to that, it sounds like. (laughs) Well, I think that you can make a reasonable argument on either side. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. What I want to talk about today is the effect that Mm -hmm. this has had on our medical system and the way that we, public, the patient, the person suffering from the migraines, how we view what our options are. I feel like the first time you see something, especially like we've talked about before, if you're in pain and you will do anything to get out of pain, I feel like the first time you see a new advertisement, it's like almost a frenzied emotion of like, oh, I can do this, like something else, you know, like got to get it right now, kind of a mm-hmm. motivation. Right. And particularly with the CGRP antagonist meds that started coming out in 2018. And these are the ones that are being advertised on mm-hmm. <laughs> my HGTV shows. They're not advertising Imitrex anymore. Mm-hmm. So yes, and it is presented as new hope for migraine sufferers. Mm-hmm. Why is it new hope for migraine sufferers? Because the tryptin meds, which were you know, 30 years ago, the new hope for migraine sufferers. Those have been around for so long and people have been on them for so long that they are really no longer effective for people. Mm -hmm. And if you want to know why that happens, we have some free trainings and some podcasts on that phenomenon. What was happening within neurology practices is they were running out of options for their patients because people were no longer responding to the tryptans. And so your neurologist, if they can't give you a medication that works. They don't have a practice. They don't have a business. So they were really dependent on the pharmaceutical industry for a new round of migraine medicines, a new round of hope for migraine sufferers. Right. Now, you're never going to see, well, I guess never say never, but I mean, I don't even have a concept of running an advertisement on an HGTV show, I cannot imagine how much that costs. <laughs> yeah, <right? laughs> so one, the options presented to people are the options that can be paid for. Right. That is definitely going to have an impact on what people perceive as a solution for their suffering. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to talk about, I think, the real 
downstream impact that this has had on our society that was probably not intended back in the mid-80s. 30 years later, we can really see the impact. And that is our media, whether it's all of the news programming that we watch, the newspapers that we read, the magazines that we read, any media source is what I call bought and sold by the pharmaceutical industry. Mm-hmm. So it's one thing if you're watching an HGTV program and 75% of the ads are pharmaceutical ads that tells you that a big portion of your HGTV show is being paid for by the pharmaceutical industry. Mm-hmm. Now, that's one thing if it's a show on house flipping. It's another thing when you're watching your local news or the national news or you're reading the newspaper or you're listening to NPR or a radio program. It's another thing when those media sources that we are relying on to educate us on medical topics are bought and paid for by the pharmaceutical industry. Mm-hmm. Is there any bias in there? I can't. <laughs> I uh-huh. can't. <laughs> so the next time you're watching any sort of news program, media show, even things like 60 Minutes, mm-hmm. you're listening to your local NPR station, notice who's funding the programming and notice how they are approaching medical topics. 60 Minutes is, you know, maybe they're doing uh, something on a medical topic. Notice, do they ever interview anyone outside of conventional medicine? That's a good question. Not that I'm aware. It never happens. Or mm-hmm. if they are, they're choosing somebody that's really out there, right? The <laughs> the alternative medicine practitioner with, you know, the CAFTA on and, you know, the whole whole bit, right? The incense is in the background. The ones that make everyone look like they're half crazy. and yeah. Right, right. So what the impact of all of this pharmaceutical money has had on our media and the coverage of medicine and health-related topics, mm-hmm. even things like big sporting events, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You can see the amount of pharmaceutical money that is coming in that is funding so much of our culture. Mm-hmm. Do you think that they are going to tolerate things that go against their profit motive in the reporting, in the coverage? Right. They're not going to tolerate that. Right. And so this sets up a very subtle bias within the media, within the magazines, within the radio stations, within, within the, you know, Dateline or 60-minute type programs. You are not going to be presented with anything other than if you have a symptom, it means you're defective and broken. And the best shot you have is to take something to make that symptom go away, to stop your body from producing that symptom. Mm -hmm. You're never going to hear anybody talk about how your body has an amazing ability to heal itself if you just give it what it needs. Mm -hmm. Particularly, we're just coming out here of the COVID pandemic. And when so many of us, right, we're just glued to the news, trying to understand people don't have a medical background, a microbiology background. 
they're relying on the media to give them the education and the information that they need about things like viruses and the immune system and so on. Who paid for that coverage? Right. The pharmaceutical industry. So I challenge anyone, next time you are consuming any sort of media, news program, magazines, etc., notice the pharmaceutical industry advertising and notice just what percentage of the programming is paid for by the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I've definitely never done that myself. And usually I I don't watch a ton of commercials, but it's usually late at night and (laughs) you're watching, you know, your favorite show and that's when those weird commercials come on. But Mm -hmm. I never really paid too much attention to how many in a, I won't say several hours of watching my shows, but no. (laughs) Uh (laughs) We won't go there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's interesting to think about. The pharmaceutical industries have taken no oath to us. Which I find that so, so, so interesting because they can do, I mean, we wouldn't have so many lawsuits with pharmaceutical companies if they had a do no harm oath, you know, like it would significantly lower how much damage is happening. Well, yeah, you can see, you know, when you look up the biggest damages levied against private industry, the pharmaceutical industry tops that list. And and I'm not disparaging the individuals that work in that industry, but Mm -hmm. there's something that's naturally going to happen when people are suffering. They can be taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. They can be manipulated. This is why medicine has always had an oath associated with it. Because when you are trying to help people who are suffering, you have to maintain a very high ethical standard because Mm -hmm. like we've talked about before, people will do anything to get out of pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think that the pharmaceutical industries are sitting around a smoky table and talking about how they can, you know, exploit people and so on. But there's just this problem within human psychology. Mm -hmm. And then you combine that, right? Every industry has had its problems. Every industry, there's been harm done and, you know, an investigation is made. And, you know, there were some people that didn't uphold high ethical standards. So, you know, it's not like this doesn't happen everywhere. But when you're talking about the amount of suffering that people are experiencing relative to their health and the unbelievable market that the pharmaceutical industry has because of this, There's so much potential for poor ethics, unfortunately. I was going to say abuse, but yeah, I mean, that might be a strong word, but yeah, no, I mean, I think you could say abuse. I think you're right. That's unfortunate. So why don't we give everybody a little homework here who's listened to the podcast next time you watch the nightly news, uh, something like 60 minutes, open up a magazine. Uh, Anytime you are consuming Something from the media, right, that is supposed to be educating us and giving us the straight story, so to speak. Notice just how much of it is funded by the pharmaceutical industry. I'm going to go do my own homework because I'm kind of curious now myself. Yeah, uh (laughs) (laughs) uh-huh. Well, thank you, Mary. Thanks for joining me today. Yeah, we'll see you guys next time. And thank you for listening. Before you go, be sure to like this episode, subscribe to this podcast, 
share with someone in your life who you think would benefit from this information. And if you want to stay connected with us, you can join my free Facebook group, Healing Migraines Naturally with Leslie Caesar, ND, where over 10,000 women are rediscovering a migraine-free life. You can go to Healing Migraines Naturally with Leslie Caesar, ND in the Facebook search bar or to healingmigrainesnaturally.com and we'll redirect you to the group.